Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I want to start by saying that Grant Williams, I don't know him personally, but I'm just looking at him from afar. I'm looking at the way he plays. I'm looking at the way he carries himself. Seems to me that's a pretty good dude. Grant Williams seems to me to be a pretty good dude and a solid contributor to the Boston Celtics. Having said that, he did a very dumb thing recently. He went on the Long Shot podcast with Duncan Robinson and said the following about the NBA Finals. Listen carefully. This is what he said about the NBA Finals. When I reflected and looked back to those games, like I still will say confidently, confidently to this day, they weren't the better team. You know what I mean? Like I will say that confidently. Uh-oh. You will say that confidently. confidently I, I love the way he doubled day. down immediately, too, on confidently. Confidently to this day. And I will say this confidently. Confidently. Confidently to this, to this day. day. Don't do that. Don't, Don't do, do that. that. Don't say that. Don't, do that. Don't embarrass yourself like that. Don't do that. Confidently. Don't be the guy who loses in six and then says that the best team did not win. You lost three straight to end that series, all by double digits, and you lost twice at home in less than a week. There is no look that is worse than being the team to lose three straight in the finals and then coming out after the fact and saying, we're the better team. I mean, the oldest and most tired thing ever, but my man, scoreboard, go ahead and look up at it. If you were the better team, you would be wearing a ring right now, but you weren't. You aren't. And what you're doing instead is going on podcasts and sucking on sour grapes, wishing you were the better team. If you lose a series the way Boston lost that series, and you still think you're the better team, to quote Jim Calhoun, my best advice to you, shut up. My best advice to you? Shut up. A team does not fluke their way to winning three straight games in the finals. You just lost to a team with three Hall of Fame players and a Hall of Fame coach. Trust me, you were not the better team. That's a Hall of Fame bad take. You're a good team. You've got some really nice pieces. You played a bunch of really good games during that run to the finals. And then you got wiped off the floor in three straight. And it's really pretty freaking rich to hear this coming from a guy who averaged barely more than four points and two rebounds in that series. Hey, but anyway, go on, my man. Go on, Grant. How do you explain the loss? How did the better team lose four of the six games and three straight to an inferior team? Lay that out for me. Make that work. I will say they were a more disciplined team. I will say that without a doubt, like, their discipline and also their, I guess, their history of yeah. being in the finals. Championship like, pedigree. Championship pedigree, you, you say, that was real. <laughs> That's me laughing. Uh, can you imagine thinking that? Now imagine thinking that and then actually saying that on a podcast. Dude, you do know how the internet works, right? People are going to hear it, and then once it hits the internet, it's there forever. I mean, that's the very definition of damning with faint praise. Imagine looking at Golden State and thinking, you know what, man? They're not that good. They're not that good, but I'll give you this. They are disciplined. disciplined. They're not that good, 
but they are composed. They're not the better team, but I'll say this. They're unflappable. They don't blank. Hey, dummy, that's part of being the better team. Knowing what to do in pressure situations. Knowing how to win games in the finals. That's a real thing. That's part of what makes them better than you. That's part of what makes them the better team. That's why they've got rings and you don't. That's why they're going to raise another banner and you won't. They took your best. They spotted you a 2-1 series lead and then blasted you in three straight games. And the best that you can say is, well, yeah, I guess they were more disciplined. Disciplined team. Hey, you tried everything you could to stop Steph Curry, and he still went 31-6-5. and five. But the Warriors are just the more disciplined team. That's the best that you can do? That's it? My man, I got a better idea. Tip your cap, keep moving, give the champs their respect, and start working on next season. However, as dumb as it is to have this take about any team that you just lost to in the finals, having it about the Warriors might be the stupidest thing ever. I mean, really imbecilic. The Warriors are not just the best team. This is why this is so dumb. They're not just the best team. Even better, they're the pettiest team. They are the pettiest team, which makes it even more awesome. Steph Curry has glossed himself the petty king, which is incredible to me. Like, Steph Curry is so classy and so dignified. He should be way above all of this. And he's not. And it's incredible that he's not. It's like my favorite thing ever that he's not. This guy knows everything. He hears everything. And if you didn't know it before the finals, you should have learned it during the finals when he was calling for his ring on the floor during game six, when he was taking a run at everybody who said that his wife can't cook, when he was going at all the talking head idiots who said that he would never win another title with Golden State. I mean, Grant, you should know this. And you should know something else. Do not come for the petty king. If Steph Curry wants to hear from you, he will send for you. When you show up on a podcast talking stupid, you better believe he'll hear it. And he did, and he made sure to respond in multiple different ways. This guy, Steph Curry's incredible. First, there was the Instagram story of his haircut with the caption, and I quote, a very disciplined cut, end of quote. Discipline team. I mean, that's incredible. I guess that means that that very disciplined is the new great. Because since Grant doesn't want to call the Warriors a good team or a great team or the better team, we're just going to have to call everything from now on that's good, very disciplined. Discipline team. And then there's the fact that Curry was going to host ESPN's award show. And he had this little introduction that Kevin Hart had suggested. I'm your host, Stephen Curry, proud husband of Aisha Curry, proud son of Del Curry, proud daddy of the Boston Celtics. Oh, that's two for you, Grant. Proud daddy of the Boston Celtics. Like I said, I mean, it's one thing like if, I don't know, Draymond's running it, even Clay. Steph Curry, again, is as classy and dignified guy as I've ever come across. I love that he is the petty king. I love it. Then there was this. From the stage, 
rocking a green suit. He went with this. Speaking of the Celtics, Grant Williams, I see you in the building. It's great to see you again, my man. Hey, uh, I know you like this color. I'll let you borrow it after I'm done. But uh, I might even let you wear a ring. Uh, It's great to see you again, my man. To quote the great Alec Manoa, Three punchies. Let's go. Let's go. Congratulations. Thank you for doing it. Let me explain exactly what that was. That was directed right at the face of Grant Williams. And all he could do was sit there and take it. Congratulations, Grant. You just played yourself. And you played yourself into being a meme. Because that face that you made as Curry dunked on you live and in person from the stage with a mic and a ring... That's the fact that that could be memefied for years to come as the face of a guy who had to sit there and take it and wear it. And you know what? You deserved it. You earned it. You asked for it. You just have to sit there and smile, Grant, because the Petty King is coming for you and there's nothing you can do about it. You brought that on yourself. You could have been respectful. You could have hyped the Warriors. You could have tipped your cap and kept moving and got ready for the next season, but that's not what you did. You called out the Petty King, and then the Petty King came for you. Not once, not twice, but three times. Three punchies. Let's go. Let's go. Congratulations. Thank you for doing it. And you know that's not over. You know that's not over. I'm sure Curry will have a few more punchies the next time he sees you on the court. Let's go. Can I tell you something? The better team always wins. The better team always wins. Now I know. Scoreboard. Look up at it. Nobody gives a damn about anything else. The better team always wins. Saying otherwise is always a terrible take. But for them to lose the way they did, and then for this guy to come back out and say, yeah, well, the better team didn't win. I know. I know. I'm confident. Confident that the better team did not win. They were just disciplined. Disciplined team. They just were more composed. They just had been there before. They just had championship pedigree. Right. They were better for all those reasons. That is an all-time terrible take. And then this guy to sit there in the audience and wear it. My man, you brought that on yourself. Grant Williams, I see you in the building. Do I really still in 2022 have to describe the concept of scoreboard? There are people, even at that level, who still do not understand that. And I want to reiterate one more time how happy it makes me that Steph Curry is that petty. And that he's wearing it like, yeah, I am. I am that petty. In fact, I am the petty king. I'm the petty czar. I'm the petty emperor. My man is so classy and so above this, but the fact that he's not is incredible. I love it. 1-800-636-8686. Yeah, you're not going to unring that bell. You're not going to slam that toothpaste back in the tube. You're not going to get that cow back in the barn. Pick whatever cliche you want. That is a bad, bad take that the better team did not win. Believe me, Grant. You're a good enough dude. You're a good enough player. Even with your four points and two rebounds per game in the finals, the better team won. They did. So do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Maybe not, right? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that helps give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. That's strong. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Something else I like about that. My favorite part, 
Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin, leaving your skin feeling comfortable, and it will not irritate your skin. One of the first things I heard early on in this business, especially when I got into TV, is the importance of moisturizing. I love that. So, try Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. Emmanuel Ogba joins me. Emmanuel, good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's good to have you. Appreciate you. All right, so you're a few days away from vets reporting to camp. I'm kind of curious, what is this time of year like for you? For instance, are you trying to soak up the last few days of freedom, or are you fired up and ready to get after it right now? Um, I'm I'm ready to go. I mean, I've been training this whole offseason. I, I took some breaks, and I, I traveled – some different places, but yeah, it's it's time to go. I had my camp last week, so I took a little bit of time off, you know, just spend time with the family before my camp, and and now this week I've just been been to find tune-ups. So, all right. So, what about that? You resigned with Miami in March. Did you give much consideration to looking around and seeing what else was out there, or was it always clear to you that you wanted to stay in Miami? I mean, I, I I told the media almost every time I interview. You know, my 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 goal is to to be here. You know, long term, I wanted to be here. You know, I wanted to be back with my team. Uh, but um, you know, I mean, we did. My 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 uh, agent was you know looking to you know kind of like seeing what 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 others out there you know during the whole negotiation period. But um, but I'm excited to sign with Miami. I mean, this is where I wanted to be. So. But not only that, but you were there when things started to turn. You're one of the reasons, to me, that things started to turn. Like, when you arrived with the Dolphins two years ago, they they were a certain way. Since then, you've had 18 sacks and have played a huge role in helping turn that thing around. I'm kind of curious, how did you go about playing a role in helping to change the environment and the culture and the vibe of the whole thing? Just, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I would say this, I'm not a real rah-rah guy, but I just, you know, tell the young guys, you know, just watch me at work and, you know, just follow, follow ahead and, um, and just, you know, bringing that Chiefs mentality. And I, I've been around the Chiefs, you know, winning the Super Bowl. So I saw that mentality, how they worked. So I kind of like brought that to the, to the Dolphins and I just pretty much just do my part. You know, that's why I'm, that's why I'm here, you know, just do my job and my responsibilities. Emmanuel Ogba joining us. You mentioned the Chiefs. Also, I mean, we could talk more about the defense, and we will, but what about the offense? There's a lot of talent offensively on that team, and the team has been really proactive in adding talent with guys like Tyreek Hill. You, of course, played with him in Kansas City. So what's it like to have him in Miami, and then how good can this offense be this season? I would say this, man. We got some speed. (laughs) We got some speed. Uh, Knowing Tyreek in college and also playing with him in Kansas City. Um, rather play with him than against him, I'll tell you that. But I'm excited the way the offense is going. I mean, we can only be as good as we want to be. Um, you know, it starts with a man up front. You know, um, he got to get the ball rolling, and, you know, we're just going to follow his lead. You know what? I've never spoken to the guy, but I want to say that this is a big Mike McDaniel house. I've never spoken to him. I want to speak to him. I know it's early on, but what's it been like to play for and work with him so far in the early days? Oh, it's been great. You know, he's a, he's a great player's coach. You know, he, he wants the best out of his players. You know, he's a work, he's a workaholic. Like he likes to work. Um, when we, you know, 
practice goes a certain way. You know, he likes to go in a certain way. There's a lot of meetings. You know, just to, just, just to get your players ready to play. And we want to play for him. We want to see what he brings to the table. I know we haven't gone through any adversity yet. But, uh, you know, we're excited to play for Coach McDaniels, and we're excited to see what he's going to bring for us. That's a great point, right? Like, it's easy to say right now, but adversity hasn't hit yet, and it will. You know, like, I always yeah. say this. I know you're looking ahead and not back, but the way you guys ended the season last year was really something. The season got yeah. off to a tough start, but then you and the defense caught fire in the second half. You allowed less than 16 points per game. You went 8-1 and one in the final nine games. So in your mind, what was the biggest change last season from the first half to the second half, and then how do you carry that over into this this year? Uh, I would say, you know, it's tough when, you, you know, you start the season off so slow, but we kind of just talk. The thing I, I would say I'm most proud about the team, the grit, like we never gave up. We were still out there having fun, still playing together. We knew we could turn this thing around and we just kept fighting, fighting, even though we lose close games. I mean, we just, we never gave up. We just kept on uh, fighting, you know, we finally like, turned the thing around. We just kept the ball rolling. You know, from you to Xavier Howard, Jalen Phillips, a lot of talent, a lot of talent defensively. In fact, you yourself have said this group can be, quote, scary. What is it that makes this group scary? Is it that grit or is it something else? I would say it's the grit and also we know each other. You know, this is the, pretty much the same group of guys that was in that turnaround last year. But um, I would say we know each other. We know our strengths. We know what we're really good at. You know, we're going to help each other out. We're going to compete against each other, you know. And push each other. That's that's what I would say. Not a lot of teams that you see bring bring back most of the guys you know they had the, the year before. How important is that? It seems pretty obvious, but how important is that continuity, consistency, being with guys that you've been in the battles with before, guys who know you, you know that guy, you know how they're going to react. How important is that consistency? Uh, it's definitely important because we're always going to keep growing as you know, as individuals, as a team. You know, knowing their family, know why they're doing what they're doing, you know why they want to be the best, you know, what we kind of have a goal, you know, as a, as a, as a defense, I would say. Um, so we just got to keep stacking, just got to keep getting better, keep competing with each other, and, you know, just, 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 just going out there and balling for each other. All right, so before I let you go, I got to ask you about this. I know that you went to the Miami Grand Prix earlier this offseason. I've never seen so many guys so hyped on that before. For those who've never been to an F1 race or don't know that much about the sport still, how would you describe it? What was that scene like? Oh, it was it was it was an amazing feeling. It was crazy, you know, how fast those cars those cars go. You know, I got a chance to go close to the race and like kind of like just watch it. I mean, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, it, you have people from all over the world will come in and just uh, you know, just watch that, watch the sport, and it's just it's just mind blowing how fast you know those guys can go. And thankfully, nobody was hurt. Um, but but it was it was an amazing. Amazing race, I would say. Was that sort of kind of like a one-off experience? Like, that was cool, I like that? Or are you now actually a fan of the sport, and do you follow it? Oh, yeah. I would say this. I definitely have to check out another, you know, F1 race because it kind of opened my mind to where I wasn't really uh, big into F1 racing. Well, now I am a big fan of it, I would say now. Let me ask you this finally. Did you, is it true, did you bump in to Michael Jordan around that time? And if so, how did that encounter go? What was that like? <laughs> Yeah, that that was a crazy experience for me. You know, uh, you know, growing up, you see Michael Jordan on TV. You see him growing up, but you never have a chance to actually talk to him or you know just take a picture with him. And that kind of like made my whole day. You know, having a chance to actually like talk to him a little bit and also you know get a picture with him. But uh, it was an amazing experience for me. You know, I sent I sent my parents. I was like, hey, look, look, who I took a picture with. <laughs> 
But it definitely was exciting, you know, growing up, you watch guys like that. To kind of explain that to me before you go, I mean, you have won a Super Bowl. You were an All-American. You're having a great career. You're an elite athlete at a very high level, and you sound almost like a fan getting around this guy. Like, what is it about MJ? What makes him so different? Like, would you react to anybody else like that? Uh, I would say this. I would. I don't know. MJ is just different, you know. Like, I was born in Nigeria. We, we knew about MJ in Nigeria, you know. So, you know, he's just like a worldwide superstar, you know, having a chance to just meet with him and actually just shake hands or, you know, get pictured with him is like a, something I would, I would never, ever forget because, you know, you grow up, you have posters of him on your wall and you just seeing him in person is, is just a different, it's mind-blowing, a different story. So. Now, I think you nailed it. I mean, he is different. I agree with you. He is different. Yeah. I'm of that age where I covered that, and I spoke to him on this show. He and I were co-stars, Wink Wink and Space Jam. Like, no, you're right, dude. He is different. MJ is definitely yeah. different. Emmanuel, great to have you on the show. Appreciate the catch-up with you. Thanks for doing that. Let's do it again soon. Uh, thank you for sure. We will. Appreciate you having me. Oh, Yeah. I absolutely love that sound. Brings a smile to my face every single time because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. That's why I love that sound. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere and synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. They can do all of that for you. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started. I know where we are right now, and I'm still on that journey. And like mine, Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. Go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash r-o-m-e right now, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash r-o-m-e. All right, why don't we talk some more NFL? We talked Kyler Murray. Let's talk Jimmy G. If you're a huge Niners and or Jimmy G honk, if there is such a thing other than Salty Sarah, I have to imagine that it's been a pretty awkward offseason. Because if you all remember, Jimmy said his Bay Area goodbyes after the Niners lost to the Rams on Championship Sunday. Remember that? Nothing vague about that. No gray area in that. There was absolutely zero ambiguity. He gave a goodbye speech to end his exit presser back on February 1st, and then that was supposed to be the end of that. Quick thank you to all you guys, the media. Uh, Since I got here, you guys have been awesome. It's been some ups and downs between all of us, but uh, for the most part, you guys have been awesome. Just good group to deal with. You guys are very... uh, very engaging and it's just fun to be around you guys here from Eric making the jokes to every, everything in between just uh it, it's been a fun ride guys and I really appreciate you for that and uh yeah I'll miss you guys so thank you guys again faithful thank you very much for everything 
uh, it's been crazy, man. Just uh, all the comebacks at Levi's, comebacks on the road, ups and downs. It's, it's been a hell of a ride, guys. I love you guys. So, see ya. For a guy who normally does not have a hell of a lot to say, he had a hell of a lot to say. I love you guys. Thank you. See ya. Thank you. See ya. I love you guys. I mean, that's a guy who doesn't normally say a lot to the media, who had a lot to say to the media, and that is a very, very, very obvious goodbye. I'll miss you guys. I'll miss you guys. I'll miss you guys? I love you guys? I love you guys. He wasn't talking to his teammates. He was talking to the media. So how crazy is it, and how awkward is it now, five months later, that he hasn't gone anywhere yet? He's still there. Like, I didn't know that there was anything more awkward than the double goodbye. You know the double goodbye. When you're leaving a party and you hug it all out and you bro it all out and you say goodbye to everybody and then somebody drags you into one more conversation and then you try to leave once again and you really don't know what to do. It's always awkward. The double goodbye. You know, the one option is the Irish goodbye. When you say nothing, you just duck out. Actually, that's not even true because you've already said goodbye. The true, pure Irish goodbye is when you bust out and you say nothing. But then the double goodbye, it's polite. It's just incredibly awkward and cringy. But come to find out there's an even more awkward goodbye. And that's when you say goodbye and you really lay it on. I mean, you goodbye the hell out of them. I love you guys. And then you never leave. And you don't stay for one more drink. You stay for every drink, every day, every week, every month. And here we are five months later and you haven't gone anywhere. Here we are. That's awkward and uncomfortable because it's indefinite. And that's exactly where the Niners stand right now. The locker room, the front office, the media, and the fans. And I'm not even saying it's this guy's fault per se. That's just where they are. Suspended in a state of indefinite awkwardness. So now it's been months and everybody in Ninerland is getting pretty desperate. Which is why this report from Adam Schefter yesterday seemed to cause this giant social media shockwave. Quote, 49ers officially have given Jimmy Garoppolo's agents, Don Yee and Carter Chow, permission to seek a trade, sources said. Garoppolo has been cleared to practice per team source. 49ers still are expected to exercise caution with him this summer, end of quote. So the reaction online seemed to be like, oh, finally, 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 something's going to happen. Something has to happen. Now it's going to get done. The end of all the awkwardness. Except what's changed? Nothing. The reality is nothing has changed. Fake news, real awkwardness. The Niners have had all offseason to find a trade partner. They have not been able to do so. Do you really think that Don Yee and Carter Chow, as good as they are at what they do, are going to have any more luck than John Lynch and the Niners? Doubtful. For all the same reasons that Jimmy is still with the Niners as of this morning. First of all, he's still not all the way back from off-season shoulder surgery. He had that done in March. That would be reason number one why nobody's made a move for him. They don't know the state of his health. They don't know where he's at. 
Reason number two, need. There no longer are that many quarterback needy teams, especially right now. Think about it. With Baker Mayfield on the Panthers, there are pretty much only a couple of options left, right? The Browns, who still are not sure about Deshaun Watson and how much time he's going to miss. And then you've got your division arch rival, the Seahawks. The thing about Cleveland is, no matter what goes down with Deshaun Watson, it would appear they have no interest in Jimmy G. In fact, they apparently have never been interested in Jimmy G. Cleveland.com reported, quote, the Browns are still not expected to pursue a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Even with the uncertainty over Deshaun Watson's suspension, the Browns never seriously considered trading for Garoppolo this offseason, even before Watson hit the trade market in March when a grand jury declined to indict him on criminal charges. So the Browns, it would seem like, would be pretty logical, but they're not. They never wanted the guy, and apparently they still do not. Then on top of that, you look at Seattle, right? Yeah, I would understand whereby if I was Seattle and I was looking at a quarterback battle between Geno Smith and Drew Locke, that Jimmy G would be looking pretty damn good at this point, even coming off of surgery. However, do you think that San Francisco wants to trade him in division, even if the Seahawks are down? Doubt that. Doubt that. So, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? You pick up what I'm laying down here. I'm not saying the Hawks are tanking per se. I'm just saying I don't think John Lynch wants to move him in division. Except John probably doesn't have a whole lot of other options right about now. Hey, John. You know, what about the Texans? They probably want to see more of Davis Mills. What about the Giants? They haven't given up yet on Danny Dimes. What about the Falcons? Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. Although I want to be very careful how I talk about their quarterback situation. They're sensitive like that. Commanders, for whatever reason, love Carson Wentz. The Steelers have Mitch Trubisky. What I'm saying is the music has stopped and there are pretty much no seats left. So what that means is Jimmy G, his agents, the Niners, have to hope that something happens between now and the start of week one. Or something happens once the season starts and somebody goes down. I mean, you never want to root for an injury, but they sort of have to root for an injury, perhaps. So what I'm saying is this. Sorry, Niner honk. Sorry to be the one to murder the buzz. But yesterday's, quote, news that may have had Jimmy trending all day long, really doesn't mean a damn thing. It really doesn't change a damn thing. It's fake news. The stalemate is very much on. The awkwardness is still very much in the air. And that incredible farewell that he had five months ago means nothing at all because he's still there. I'll miss you guys. I'm still here. I love you guys. And, of course, Salty Sarah will take from that what she takes from that. Salty Sarah doesn't give a damn about any of that. Quote, he's so hot, the California wildfires need a blanket. See ya. Yeah, California wildfires are pretty funny, Sarah. People losing their homes. Every earthly possession. But, but he is handsome, I'll give you that. He is very handsome. 
I'll miss you guys. Sarah also said the other day that Woody is hot. So why don't we run down the list of people that Sarah thinks is hot? Kurt Warner, Jimmy Garoppolo, Woody from Eagle River. Who else? Jack Del Rio, Tom Brady. Who am I forgetting? Sarah, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, probably. I love you guys. He's honky. Hey, Sarah, how about Lou Holtz? Anybody else? Ike. (laughs) Game on. He's so hot. The California wildfires need a blanket. Great, Sarah. Thirsty much? I just did a whole take on that not being news. Oh, his agents have permission to seek a trade. Right, because there is no trade. Let's see here. Let's go to Northern California quickly. Mike in NoCal. What's going on, Mike? How are you? Hey, Romy. I'm great, man. I've been a listener for over 20 years. And for some reason today, when you said this, I just wanted to talk to you. So thanks for getting me on. You got it. You know, 49ers, Romy, have just, they botched this whole thing up. Number one, they they way overpaid probably to get Trey Lance. And Jimmy's pretty, I mean, believe you me, I sit at the game and I pull my hair out sometimes when he can't see receivers. But this guy has taken the team to the Super Bowl. And if we play defense in the fourth quarter, we beat the Chiefs. And then if our strong safety actually makes an interception, we're in the Super Bowl again against the Rams last year. This guy has got the hell beat out of him which everybody thinks our O-line's so great. It's not so great. Um, it's good, but he gets beat up. And the guy's given everything he can, been a true professional. And the 49ers have just, I think they thought they were going to get a first or second round pick for this guy. And they overplayed their hand. And he turned around and said, you know what? I'm getting you back. I'm going to have the surgery. And now you can't even trade him for a ham sandwich. There's something to a lot of that, Mike. I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks so much. And thanks for being a listener for 20 years. The thing about Jimmy G is I'm not going to sit here and say that Jimmy G is Tom Brady. He's not. I'm not going to sit here and say that Jimmy G is an exceptional quarterback. He's not. But I will say this about him. He's a lot better than he gets credit for. Because when they win, he gets no credit. And when they lose, it's his fault. Availability is your best ability. And he's not always available But he's been to a Super Bowl. He's been to a couple of championship games. He is a more than serviceable quarterback. And if he can prove his health, there will be interest. But he's got to prove his health. And he didn't get that surgery done until March. So that's where they are right now. They made a big, big bet on Trey Lance. He better be ready. He better be what they think that he is. And he better be ready because now is his time. So we're going to find out. I would tell you one more thing about Jimmy G. The guys who played with him that I've had on this show love him. However, Martellus Bennett did not exactly help his trade value. Bro, we lost two games. One of them was because Jimmy Garoppolo was being a bitch and didn't and try to quit. He quit before us on the last, decided not to play right before the game. So we went out there. Jacob, Jacoby came out and played with a up thumb and gave his played his heart out. But Jimmy was just being a bitch about it all, and he's still being like that's why he. You can't win with a bitch for a quarterback. Let me tell you about Martellus Bennett. He used to come on this show quite a bit back in the day, and I always loved him. There was nobody like Marty B. Nobody like Marty B. 
And even now, there's still nobody like Marty B. You tell me who else is going to get on a podcast. I understand new media, and I understand guys are saying things. He just flat out, and I've had so many Niner teammates say, we love Jimmy G. We love this guy. He is tough. Marty B just said, he's a bitch who quit on us. He's a bitch. Garoppolo was being a bitch. Mike in NoCal. What's going on, Mike? How are you? Hey, Romy, I'm great, man. I've been a listener for over 20 years, and for some reason today when you said this, I just wanted to talk to you, so thanks for getting me on. You got it. You know, 49ers, Romy, have just, they botched this whole thing up. Number one, they they way overpaid probably to get Trey Lance. And Jimmy's pretty, I mean, believe you me, I sit at the game and I pull my hair out sometimes when he can't see receivers, but this guy has taken team to the Super Bowl, and if we play defense in the fourth quarter, we beat the Chiefs. And then if our strong safety actually makes an interception, we're in the Super Bowl again against the Rams last year. This guy has got the hell beat out of him, which everybody thinks our O-line's so great. It's not so great. Um, it's good, but he gets beat up. And the guy's given everything he can, been a true professional. And the 49ers have just, I think they thought they were going to get a first or second round pick for this guy. And they overplayed their hand. And he turned around and said, you know what? I'm getting you back. I'm going to have the surgery, and now you can't even trade him for a ham sandwich. There's something to a lot of that, Mike. I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks so much, and thanks for being a listener for 20 years. Mitchell Schwartz is my guest. Mitchell, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing great, in fact. So in your announcement on social media, you wrote that you were feeling great after taking last year off to recover from your back injury, and you're not feeling nerve pain in your legs. Let me start right there. That said... What was it that let you know that it was time to step away from the game because that's often the toughest decision to make? Yeah, it was difficult. You know, I have uh, played a lot of ball, so luckily I was able to win the Super Bowl, played a lot of games. Uh, so I feel like I definitely got my fill in that physicality. You know, the nerve pain is definitely a lot better. I still feel it every now and again. Uh, I've been lucky that doing kind of the athletic stuff and kind of living my normal life, I, I don't feel it too much. But, uh, you know, once you get up there, uh, I'm only 33, but I feel like I got a, a lot of miles on me. So you wake up in the morning and you didn't quite sleep right. You can feel it. And just, uh, it was a lot of football. I've had two back surgeries now. I had one in college and, uh, I just, I, I didn't want a third. I didn't want to compromise my quality of life down the road. You know, I'll have kids here pretty soon. So, um, it just wasn't worth it to, to keep pushing through for, uh, what I deemed as, you know, not a, a good enough reason having had the career I had. That makes sense to me. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. You know, not not to get all heavy on you, but I think you've always been one of the more thoughtful guys I've spoken to. Like you said, you're just 33. I mean, you're a really young man, and you've got your entire life ahead of you. Are you at all concerned about what it might be like physically or in tom- terms of cog- cognition, anything at all? Or has everything you've done done with purpose and intention, and you'll live with whatever it is, and maybe it's nothing at all? Yeah, I mean, those worries are always there. I think it's it's natural to worry about that. Uh, you know, I tried, even when I played, to you know, keep my head out of things as much as possible. Um, and, you know, you've got these little nicks and bruises and things that, uh, you know, you lose a little weight after surgery and they don't quite feel better. And you thought, like, huh, I thought that little nagging shoulder thing was supposed to feel better and fell off a little weight. Um, so I think you do wonder what, you know, your, your body's going to feel like uh, as you age. I think the great thing with modern medicine is you can basically replace almost anything these days. So uh, you might not be feeling great, but it seems like uh, there's a doctor out there who's willing to, to patch you back up. So uh, I'm just uh, enjoying things, and, you know, we'll take those as they come. It's not 
you know, worth the, the mental anguish to, to worry about what could be. Um, you know, I've got a great situation right now, great wife, a great life, and, um, you know, just trying to enjoy it. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. All right, so I always love asking offensive linemen about their favorite matchups. You and Von Miller went up against each other so many times. I know the respect that he has for you and for your game. In fact, particularly, what were those specific matchups like, you and Von Miller? Well, nerve-wracking for me. You know, that whole week is just, it, it's really difficult. And, you know, you go into the game week, and whether it's kind of Monday or Tuesday, uh, you know, your coach shows you a little bit of a preview for the upcoming week, and then you get there Wednesday morning, and it seems like every play is a, a Von Miller highlight reel. And the difficult thing is he can beat you in any way. So he's got, you know, that quick step off the edge. He's got the insane flexibility. He can bend the corner. Uh, he can spin inside. I think we all, you know, kind of credit him with that signature spin move that, that we can think of. Uh, and then he's also got surprising power, and you know he he grew into that a little bit and got stronger, but also just kind of understood uh, his leverage. And you know he's got guys on their heels. You're really nervous about getting out there, kicking out there, making sure you can cover that ground. Uh, you know you're not necessarily sitting on that bull rush, and you know he just demolishes guys and their quarterbacks and uh, wins with power probably more than you know people realize unless you're kind of in the O line world. And so it, it's difficult because you don't know which of those three to kind of play more than the other you know you set for the spin and, and you give them the corner you set for the corner you give them the spin you uh, are worried about the speed you give them the power so it's a it's a tricky week because as a lineman you don't really know how to game plan that you're not sure what to take away and the second you get complacent he's going to beat you so it's a it's a tough week mentally it's a tough week physically and it's it's a lot of fun i mean those are kind of the things that you do miss about football that kind of uh going back and forth, kind of the, the pitcher batter or, you know, tennis, uh, those individual interactions, you know, that's something that you can never recreate. That was an incredible response. I, I love when you let us in the O-line world like that. So something else you said about him in recent years was, quote, you know you're going to get a hard day's work, and he's not into doing cheap stuff, end of quote. I can only imagine some of the cheap stuff that goes on in the trenches that we would never know about. In fact, can you share some of that? What is some of that cheap stuff that other guys do, and then how much would that bother you? Well, there's the cheap stuff they do against you, which is very frustrating, which is, you know, kind of the last push or just shoving you over a pile or, you know, there's a bunch of guys and almost like old school growing up tabletop and one of your friends, but they do that kind of with a little bit of, of malice. Um, so those guys just get under your skin and, and you feel like it's not really respectful. It's not the way you should go about things. It's not, you know, how competition should be. And then there's guys who, you know, kind of take shots at your quarterback. They take shots at the running back or the receiver. Um, you know, maybe the guy is going to the ground and it's pretty clear that he's being tackled and they're flying in there and they lead with their shoulder and, you know, they're, they're going for kind of that old school kill shot. Um, so there's guys like that you have to be smart with. You have to know, uh, you know, hey, at the top of the rush, you know, this guy's going to throw an elbow out. He's going to try to affect the quarterback. You know, you got to make sure you are staying between your guy and, and the quarterback and, and you're doing it uh, maybe a little bit longer than you used to. So, uh, that's something I respected, you know, about Vaughn. He wasn't into that. It just, it's hard work. We're going to do it the right way. We're going to respect each other. Um, and that's what makes him such a good dude. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. He talked about guys who take liberties with or take cheap shots at your quarterback. As somebody who's been around Patrick Mahomes for as long as you were and have, what was it like to block for him? And in your mind, what makes him so unique? It's amazing I mean, having the best quarterback in the NFL back there. He's going to make everything right, and we've seen him do that uh, from the pocket, from outside the pocket. And I think what people maybe misconstrue a little bit because of the exciting plays where he's running around, he's juking guys, he's throwing on the run, he's 
you know, leaping in one direction and throwing the other. You know, he's deadly from the pocket. That's the basis of the Andy Reid offense. That's the basis of Pat's game. Uh, so he's going to carve you up from in the pocket. He's super smart, so he knows where to go with the ball. He gets it out quick, which is every O-lineman's dream. And he can obviously run. And so, you know, as a right tackle, if my guy's trying to go around the, the arc, he's trying to go upfield, you know, Pat can kind of flip under, can evade him, uh, get outside the pocket, make something happen. And then as he did that over time, you know, your defensive end gets a little scared. He gets a little nervous. His coaches are telling him, hey, you can't let him out. And so now I get an advantage as an offensive lineman because that defensive end is a little bit hesitant. He doesn't want to, you know, do that super speed move up the field that he's going to leave the lane open for Pat to, to sneak underneath and to escape the pocket. So it goes, you know, multiple ways with offensive efficiency, throwing from the pocket, being on the run, but then that kind of direct impact that it has on a defensive line when they're being told, you know, you can't just go uh, completely all out. You can't rush in any way you want. That's a huge advantage in offensive linemen, and it, it's really difficult to quantify, but uh, those top quarterbacks and the guys especially who can break the pocket, um, that's a big advantage. Mitchell Schwartz joining me for a few more moments. Mitch, you mentioned Andy Reid right there. You also mentioned him in your announcement. I know much he, how much he meant to you personally and professionally. You know, he had so much trust and confidence in your game that even in the Super Bowl against San Francisco with that deep crew of pass rushers, he left you on an island and almost never, ever sent help. What do you remember most about that game? Well, the build-up to it, like you said, that was a deep group. So they had, you know, the starting four, uh, who were basically all pro bowlers, all pro guys. And then, you know, as a backup, you can bring D Ford in. You can bring, you know, a couple other guys in who were probably high-quality starters in their own right. So they they felt like they were about seven or eight deep of just awesome uh, players. And that's, you know, not the best thing to watch two weeks in a row when preparations at, you know, an all-time premium. You know, you don't necessarily get that classic Andy Reid bye week where he just gives you the week off. You know, it's it's bye week before the Super Bowl, so you're working, you're watching film, and you're just seeing these guys wreck games. And, uh, yeah, our, our offense is definitely uh, set up where the tackles are a little bit on an island. Um, you know, those inside three work together really well. Uh, the guards will be there for you occasionally, but um, they do put a premium on, on, the, on the tackle position. And so uh, it, it was tricky. Um, you know, we held off just long enough for Pat to make some things happen. You know, in that lost play, when you watch that video, Pat – I think says like, Hey, do we have time for this? Because, you know, those guys were getting home and he just wanted to make sure on a, a deep uh, drop on a long developing play, um, you know, he had the time to you know stay there in the pocket and you know, he dropped to something crazy like 13 or 14 yards because Bosa made an inside move. And, you know, again, Pat's just kind of mastery feeling everything around him. Uh, he makes everything work. Mitchell Schwartz, my guest. Listen, dude, you are so interesting. I could do this for hours. One last thought, though, and you and I have talked about this before. I love your background in the sense that you're a SoCal guy, and I love the fact you played your college ball at Cal, so you're a UC product as well. I've got to ask, what was your reaction to the news that USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten? I was shocked. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard about it a little before, so you didn't get like the straight Twitter reaction of, like, oh, my God, they're going to leave. Uh, I, I couldn't believe that. I, I thought, you know, the Pac-12 now is one of the top conferences. I thought, you know, as we went into this whole power conference thing, they would take on other teams, kind of become a Pac-16 or one of these super conferences. Uh, I did not see, you know, UCLA, USC leaving, especially to go play a bunch of teams in the Northeast. And, you know, there's been all those jokes about how long they have to travel and UCLA going to Rutgers and stuff. But uh, very surprising. You know, I even think in long term, like, this is going to be difficult to tell my kids like, well, it was the Pac-10 when I was there. And then my senior year is the Pac-12 and then now it no longer exists. And this is the school. Now it's this conference. And, you know, I think we're all in for kind of that 
uh, what's going to happen with the conference alignment. And I, uh, I was very surprised. I, I didn't see that happening. Um, I hope they can, you know, just kind of form what they need to now. And it sure seems like they're going to do whatever the money dictates. And as you know, the UC school system, uh, they can definitely use some dollars. For the money. For the money. It's it's like, I'm not shocked by it, but it's still weird. Like, even if you could see something like that coming, it's still really weird to see it. And I think how it feels, I get that too. He's a Super Bowl champ. He's a four-time All-Pro. He's a chef. He's an author. He is creator of Mitch in the Kitchen. I know this will not be the last time we have a conversation. At least I hope it's not, Mitch, because that was great as always. I really appreciate you. Congrats on an amazing career, and thanks so much for coming back on. Yeah, thank you so much. Here, anytime you need me. Uh, I always have a lot of fun talking to you. So do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Maybe not, right? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that helps give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. That's strong. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the go. Something else I like about that. My favorite part? Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin, leaving your skin feeling comfortable, and it will not irritate your skin. One of the first things I heard early on in this business, especially when I got into TV, is the importance of moisturizing. I love that. So, try Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. So let's go to St. Louis. Todd in St. Louis has a thought. Todd, good to have you on. What's up? Hey, Rome. Um, you know, when I'm napping it out in the cockpit, I often think about the psychological issues that can help improve those around me. But, but let's not get into that right now. First, Crisco, just like the beef segment, take an off-season. You make fecal matter in L.A. look like a Hall of Famer. Jim, Listen, as far as your eating issue, now that you're back in Cali, it's like when a person dates someone much hotter than themselves and then breaks up, there's a tendency to go in the dumpster, pig out, and find someone uglier fat, i.e. Mark Grace when slump busting. So in physical, uh, psychological terms, your ego got the best of you for your initial dietary accomplishment. All right, so this is interesting. So now I'm dumpster diving. All right, Todd, thank you very much. He did. First of all, I think we're mixing a lot of analogies here. Naeem Hines. Naeem, good to have you back. How are you? Uh, Great, man. Thanks for having me on. You know I'm a big fan of the show, so I'm always happy when I'm back on. Well, it's good to have you on. Big fan of having you on the show. Listen, I want to talk football in a moment, but there's something really weird. You've had a challenging offseason in the sense, my man, you've blown four tires in potholes this spring and summer. That's a lifetime's (laughs) worth of work. Normally, you're great at making tacklers miss on the field. So how are these potholes wrecking you all the time now? I'm not going to lie. I had four in one month. I really have had seven. But, uh, um, but you know what? The most fortunate thing is it hasn't happened in probably since May. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you just have a, you know, I feel like it's like football. Sometimes you have a bad drive and a bad quarter. So I feel like I just had a bad quarter. And uh, I think, we, you know, we moved on from it. But uh, for whatever reason, I was trying to dodge him. I just couldn't dodge him. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what happened. I was paying attention to the road. And every time I actually hit a pothole, I was actually not looking at my phone, which is actually ironic. But, uh, 
We've gotten through the hard times, and we haven't had a, a pothole problem in probably about two months. So I'm gonna knock on wood with that. Knock on wood. I like it. You just got to get beyond that, man. You got to turn the page. You got to look ahead. I like that. All right. So one of the reoccurring themes <laughs> for the team this offseason is that everybody in the building seems to want to get the ball in your hands as often as possible. Even Frank Reich said that if he was in a fantasy league, he would draft you because of the touches that he expects you to get this year. So what's your reaction when you hear all of that? <laughs> Uh, you know, it's flattering. Uh, it's really cool. You know, the guy calling the plays thinks that highly of me. But uh, honestly, the way I see it is uh, it's a great opportunity, but you have to make the most of the opportunity. Uh, they can have the plans for me to do that, but I have to go out there and practice and execute and go out there in the game and execute as well to continue to get the ball and have those opportunities. So I really just want to go out there and make some plays and uh, earn everything I get. You know, it seemed like part of that is connected to the belief that with the arrival of Matt Ryan, it means you're going to get more targets also in the passing game than maybe last season. There also seems to be the argument, you tell me if I'm wrong, but the argument that maybe Carson Wentz at times locked in on guys and did not use the entire field. I get that it's still early, but have you noticed a difference in the offense from last year to this year? Um, I think the offense is a little bit different from last year, this year, and uh, I won't say uh, it's anything to do with Carson's play style or anything, but I think really it's just uh, seeing how the quarterback likes things. Like having five quarterbacks in five years, you see uh, you see how an offense can completely change based on one guy. So uh, I think, uh, you know, based on what Matt sees and what Matt likes, there'll be a little bit different plays, a little bit different wrinkles, and I think, you know, some of those wrinkles will benefit me. But uh, I think uh, Matt's going to be a great commander and leader of this offense, and uh, we all have trust in him and – We've worked with him for eight weeks, and I'm already ready to run through a brick wall for him. So uh, I think he's done a job, a great job of winning us over, and uh, he's a great leader. See, that's really something. I mean, first of all, five quarterbacks in five seasons is insane. Some of the things that guys were saying about Ryan would include, quote, he's damn near a coach on the field. You feel him in this building. I knew he was good. His accuracy is insane. I mean, you just even echoed it yourself. You yourself said, I'm ready to run through a building for the guy. What is it about this guy that makes him makes you feel that way about him? Uh, you know, just I think it's with a quarterback, I think it's just a leadership role. Because uh, I think with quarterback, obviously you're in charge of the entire team, but then you're also in charge, in charge of getting those guys to trust you, building that bond with those guys, and uh, getting us to play for you. And uh, it's just like a coach. Like when a coach first gets in, he has to win the guys over. And a starting quarterback, when he's going to have as much power and control of the offense as he does, he has to do that with us. And he's done that with us. He's a very, very compassionate, very, very genuine guy. Uh, he's very, very intense and demanding on the field, but it's not like a bad demanding. It's just, you know, he wants his best for us, and he wants us where we are going to be. And uh, when we're where we're supposed to be, the ball is going to be where it's supposed to be, and he's very accurate. So uh, I'm super excited to play with Matt. I think this guy's limit for us. I'm really, really, uh, really excited. There's a, there's a reason why we have a lot of hype behind him, and uh, he's really uh, lived up to everything we thought he would be and more. Listen, you're a high-energy guy anyway, but I can hear it in your voice. When you look at the weapons you have on offense and when you look at the talent you have on all three levels of defense, if this team catches a break, stays healthy, plays to its potential, how good can this team be? I mean, are we talking potentially Super Bowl good? I'd like to think that, but, I mean, I think uh, the past four years since we've been here, we've had had some great teams. I think it really is going to come down to execution. I think uh, this team could be our best team yet, but – it comes down to execution. It doesn't matter how – there's in the NFL, every team can be good or bad, but it really comes down to execution, like I keep saying. So I think that a team can be great, but if we don't execute, we can not miss the playoffs. So I think that's what how we are on, and that's what we were thinking about last year. We had a great team last year. We didn't execute, and we, it caused us to miss the playoffs. So we're really focused on just executing and doing what we can do.
So what do you do with that? Like last year was last year. I'm kind of curious. Like you said, you had a great feeling about last year, but then you don't execute. You miss the playoffs. Do you use that as fuel this year, or do you go forward and not look back at all? Like what did you do with last year as it relates to going forward? Um, honestly, last year I didn't. With the way it ended, I didn't stop thinking about it for a long time. And uh, even now today, I mean, you think about last year, but eventually it's just like a breakup. I mean. You can be hurt for a long time, but eventually you move on. And uh, that's what we've done. And uh, Matt's also made it really, really easy to move on, coming in and uh, having, you know, new life. And uh, even there's a lot of new guys out there. We have new coaches. And uh, honestly, I think last year was the first time we had a team. Like, you know, we had a – like, we, it was Frank's fourth year there. So, a lot of guys left, and there was a lot of turnover. And that's, I haven't seen that. So, uh, it's some new life in there. And that helps, you know, turn the page from last year. But even the guys who were here last year, we're so focused on this year and uh, what we can do. We're not really worried about last year anyway because we know there's a great opportunity ahead of us. I think that's a really interesting analogy. It's like a breakup. Like, you don't like it, and it's hard to get over, and you think about it, but ultimately you get over yeah, it, and so. you got to keep moving. <laughs> I mean, I get that. So I mentioned off the very top that you are the muscular dystrophy national spokesman, and you've got the Be the Muscle event that's coming up on July 30th and the 31st. Lay that out for me. What is the event all about, and how do people get involved? Okay, yeah, you, you actually did a great job of just uh, – starting out everything so uh, really basically uh first off i'm honored to be a part of the muscular dystrophy association to help out with this this is our sixth year with burnt booth with burn boot camp which is actually found in north carolina my home state so that's awesome and really what it is is basically we're just working out and you register online at, m- at www.mda.org slash burn boot camp 2022 and the registrations and things like that will take care of our donations and things like that so basically what we'll do is we'll people will be working out and while they're working out like they normally do, they're supporting MDA. And honestly, with that, it helps fund research and advocacy and care for, you know, families of the neuromuscular disease, uh, neuromuscular disease community to live longer, more independent lives through accelerating research and advocating care. And that's really what it is, just a normal workout. And when you register, you're supporting um, people like my mom, my family, and uh, other people around this world who don't have a voice. You know, really quickly, I wanted to ask you about your mom because I want to be very respectful about this because it's hard to talk about, but your mother was a collegiate swimmer. What have you learned from watching her battle muscular dystrophy? Uh, well, one thing, just uh, really just the hard things you have in life, uh, you, it, come, it becomes more... Uh, it becomes more, you look at things differently. Like my mom waking up every day, it's, it takes her 10 to 15 minutes, you know, wash her face, brush her teeth, put her clothes on. And uh, it makes you just not take things like that for granted. And like walking upstairs every day, you know, I have a townhouse now, I complain about the steps and I think about now how my mom can't walk up them. So I think really it's just things like that. And there's not, it's a very, very rare disease. So not many people have that voice. But that's really what I think. It's just your everyday, every small everyday habit that you take for granted, like brushing your teeth. It's hard for somebody like my mom. And that's why I think about it so hard, and it, I don't quit on a lot of things like sports and just many things in life. Because when you when you want to brush your teeth and you want to quit, I mean, it's a hard life. So I'm just super excited and uh, you know, super thankful that I have the opportunity to you know build what I'm doing and just keep you know giving a voice to these people. Good for you. Such a powerful message. I'm so glad you shared that. He's a running back for the Colts, coming off a big year, and there are high expectations once again. And the 2022 Muscular Dystrophy Association National Spokesperson, Naeem, I know you have a great deal of pride in that. So thank you very much. Good to have you back on the show. I appreciate the energy. I appreciate the message. And that is how you close the show out. So thank you, my man. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was an honor being on this show. Appreciate you. Good night now!